0: Welcome, welcome. This is episode eight of our new podcast called Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am the host. I am a DJ from Los Angeles, California. I am also what I would like to call a cultural curator, and I am joined by my host,
1: EB. So EB, what's good with you? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the Soul Musicologist. I am a writer, blogger, and content creator based out of Brooklyn, New York with a deep passion for soul music and all things black culture. That's what it
0: is. And this is Behind the Wheels. Behind the Wheels podcast, we talk about everything to do with black music. We talk about artists from the past, artists to look forward to in the future. And we have a couple of special segments we do every episode. We have what's called The Drop, where we discuss one topic. And we always end it out with our famous uh, beat match. We always take two artists, two albums, or even two decades, whatever it can be, and we match them up and see who would come on top in the battle. So before we get into everything for this episode, we're just going to catch up and see what's been going on right now. The biggest news for this week so far is that the NAACP Image Awards have been announced and we have the nominees. Uh, EB, did you get a chance to look at those nominees yet?
1: I did. I checked a couple of them out. Um, I was very interested to see the Outstanding Album nominees because they have Alicia Keys, her Alicia album, Brandy's B7 John Legend's Bigger Love, Janae Aiko's Chilombo. Chilombo, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Lettuce's The Wild Card. Those are all nominated for Outstanding Album. Um, And honestly, I've only listened to one of those entirely, and that's the Lettuce album. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm definitely going to have to go through the others just to make sure that they're worthy to be nominated for Outstanding Album. You know, NAACP be playing sometimes.
0: They do they're doing that. They hold weight. It's important. So I have heard the Brandy album and Brandy's album seemed to be a bit um a bit polarizing. Mm. It feels like some folks love the way that the vocals are layered. Like it, it sounds futuristic, so so it's dope in the way that she makes it uh, you know, forward facing, but it's of course it's not my favorite work from her, but it's still a solid mm. album. Um Janae Ike Iko, I mean um I I would say I'm a fan of her overall. Of course, we kind of group her in with the kind of whispery, breathy R&B nowadays, but I think it's actually a good project. Like uh P fairy is one of my favorite like slow slow jams in that lane for a while and even tracks like Trying to Smoke, it's 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 definitely the overused word vibe, but it's it's top of the line mm-hmm. for that vibe so music. That's how I feel about. It. Yeah, vibe music. I mean, it's as cliché as it is at this point. I think it is a solid album. Um also, with those nominees, we had the uh, the outstanding male artists and female artists. So for male artists, they nominated Big Sean, Black Thought from the Roots, of course, Charlie Wilson, Drake, and John Legend. And then for female artists, they had Beyonce, they had her, Jasmine Sullivan, Let See, and Alicia Keys. I feel like for male artists, Big Sean, yeah, Big Sean Detroit 2 was a solid album. Um, I'm, not, I'm not mad at that. Charlie Wilson's one of those. This lifetime legacy at this point, Whenever he's nominated, I'm happy to see his name there. I'm happy, I'm happy that he he's made still that return right. in the mid '90s. Yeah, he he's still doing this thing and still. He had a song last year, I think, uh, called was it called "Be My Valentine." It was it was a cool wagon jam. It's just one of those feel good auntie and uncle two step songs. So I like that. I feel like Drake is just always going to be there. Drake is just going to be. The last eleven years, he's been like top yeah. three in the game. So. And then Black Thought, of course, I'm always going to be hype about, about Black Thought. Black Thought is top five lyricists of all time to me. And even though he's never had the huge commercial success of the Jay-Zs and the, the Lutas and Drakes, like he's Definitely just always been fives. here and always get, always getting better. Like, How do you get better after 25 years in the game? So I can rock with that. As far as the female artists, what you thinking about those? All right, so
1: they got Beyonce. They have her, Jasmine Sullivan, Lettucey, and Alicia Keys again. Honestly, I feel like it is Again. hopefully the year of her. Like, I, I really think her should yeah. take it home. I mean, you're on a roll at this point. Like, she's everywhere. She's doing everything. So I think she definitely deserves the award.
0: I agree with that. Yeah, her, I think it's it's finally her time to to shine. No, no pun intended. Um, I remember the first time I actually heard her or saw her was BET Awards. I want to say 2014. And they have, like, that that music matters segment right before they go to commercial break. So the, if you're watching at home, you get to see about 20 or 30 seconds. But if you are there, it's like the whole commercial break is mm. that artist. So she came in with her song. Um I forget the name of the song, but it's Sample oh, Isley Brothers. That's what the, she was uh, still, between Gabby Wilson. But it was, yeah, yeah. she was Gabby Wilson. Yeah. She wasn't even going by her yet. And it was the, the way, the way she sampled uh, between the sheets was in the same vein of Keith mm-hmm. Murray, the most beautiful thing. And it, It was kind of mind-blowing, because they said she was, what, 15 years old or something, but she was playing the piano and maybe even guitar at at the same time, and then she started singing, and she had that hip-hop influence, but the whole crowd just was was enjoying it more than some of the main artists that night. So I said, whoever she is, a lot of times those artists don't make it as big because they're so musical that they don't know how to make commercial music, but she's found a way to be successful with those sunglasses. She put those sunglasses on,
1: and she got superpowers.
0: (laughs) Put them shades on. Yeah, she that's that's her. That's right. Um, that's her cape right there. So I definitely rock with her. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't. Is is Chloe and Hallie would they not count because they're a duo? Is that what that would be?
1: Yeah, I mean, they yeah because they do have separate categories for uh, duos and groups. So that's why they're not um, nominated for any of the solo categories.
0: Oh yeah, so I do see that they actually were nominated for uh, for outstanding uh, duo or group. So. Yeah, that's, that's always my pick for, for right now. Uh, Chloe and Hallie are out there doing that thing. And speaking of that, there's been a little bit of, I, w- I won't call it backlash, but there's been a few people who have been hating on Chloe on her newfound, you know, um, mm-hmm. sense of sexuality that she's been showing on Instagram and with silhouette challenges and all that. And I, I, I feel
1: like all these
0: girls who are wearing these long jean skirts just need to get over <laughs> the it. The long jeans. They need skirt. to give her.
1: Wait, they, so. got to give her. <laughs> this is the thing, though. <laughs> I think a lot of people are still stuck in the place that Chloe and Holly were definitely children when we met them years ago. But it's been years, and they are now young women. So I think it's okay that she's expressing herself sexually. I think it's okay for her to want to be more. It's like the Disney thing when they get caught into being the same character for the rest of the. That's what's wrong with Raven Simone now. That's why she have crazy because they (laughs) you just don't let people be who they are. So let the
0: girl just be. She's a young woman it's true she's what 22 years old yeah. I mean, that's older than beyonce was when we heard of beyonce but hey. as you said it's only because we heard of her like i first found them 10 years ago it was 2011 when they were doing the love on top ironically that was that's how i found them so oh. yeah it is like as far as me being a grown a grown man i'm not gonna look at her her in that way because yes yeah, she was a, probably what 11 year old when i first saw her but she's a 22 year old woman let her do what she does and they had her crying on social media because they're criticizing her, but the ones who're criticizing her, I'll say the majority of everyone is on their head, so yeah. they're getting called out and reprimanded for it. So, I feel like she'll be okay. Is this one of those growing pains that she has at this point? But I'm not mad at all. She can do what she does, express herself freely. You know, another topic that we've been looking at uh, the last couple of days is the situation with the um, alleged mm. uh, misconduct from Ti and Tiny. There've been some. Alleged there's been some allegations that they have been known for getting women, you know, drugging them up and having these wild sex sex capades with them. And it's been uh, reported to come from different women, and T.I. did speak about it. Since T.I. spoke about it, you haven't really heard too much about it. So I don't know if it's a lawsuit type thing pending. I can't really say, but I've been hearing about that. And it's been, of course, when it came out, a lot of folks were saying they weren't surprised and that. There is a huge sexual type of underworld going on within the rap and music industry and that has been that way for a while. So on one hand, folks aren't surprised. But on the other hand, there's always the folks who say that there is no proof at all and that it's somebody trying to slander their name. So mm. at this point... I mean, I mean listen, it,
1: it it's still all alleged, but the girl who actually uh, broke the story, she did take a lie detector and passed it proving that what she said Hmm. was the truth, at least that she understands it. I'm not going to say it is the truth, but, you know, I I don't know what's going on. I just, I really hope that uh, if it is something going on where these women deserve some sort of justice, then they get that, whether it's from the state of Georgia or whoever. whoever. But, you know, if it's not, um, I mean, I'm not apologizing to T.I. and Tiny for nothing because I ain't say nothing, but, you know, if it's not, then it's not. But, you know, everybody is... uh, all of the victims are definitely owed at least an investigation to see what's going on. I agree with that. Yeah. At yeah. least
0: at least take them serious. So that's all we can hope for is that justice is served the the correct way. So so going on from that, um one of our segments that we have each and every episode is called The Rewind. In the rewind we, we'll bring up some artists that we definitely feel deserve to be appreciated more, somewhat of our unsung heroes. So for this episode, as my co-host, who do, who do you want to speak about first?
1: All right, so this week I you know I, I am in love with all things blackity black black. But yeah. this week is Black History Month. It is yeah, black, black History, History Month. Month and, and and we for the <laughs> for the first show at Black History Month, I'm actually choosing a white person this time. Wait, a who minute, is wait the <laughs> Yes, I, it's it's a white person. It's MC Search. And for those who don't know who MC Search is, he is a white MC who gained popularity in the late '80s and um, early '90s as part of the group Third Base with uh, yeah. DJ Richie Rich and Prime Minister Pete Nice. They were they were like one of the first interracial hip hop groups out of New York that was actually successful. It, you know, it wasn't like gimmicky. Um, they released the Cactus album in 1989, and that went gold. The song "Gas Face" was a big hit. Uh, And they had the video with Doom in it, rest in peace Doom, uh, DJ Subrock, Gilbert Gottfried, Flavor Flav, salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, EPMD. It was one of those, you know how the videos used to be like house party style when everybody just show up. Yeah, everybody just show up, oh, y'all shooting a video today? All right, cool, I'm here. So, (laughs) yeah, it was like one of those. um, Now, it is said since we, we, the theme for the show is allegedly. So, it is said (laughs) that the video contained insults towards mc hammer and uh the record exec Mm. lear cohen and this is all allegedly i'm gonna keep saying that so people go watch the video for yourself and decide but before third base uh mc search had been trying to get into the beastie boys camp and they weren't having that so after he joined they started taking shots at the beastie boys allegedly they released an album in 91 and they took shots at Vanilla Ice allegedly, <laughs> so it's like a whole mm. bunch of white on white crime. A lot of speculation. Yeah, it's white on white crime. Is. So it it's, sound it's sound like... validation for Black History yeah. Month that I brought him up. So don't y'all hate me for it. Okay, you know, that's true. so yeah, that's, that's a good way to yeah, tie yeah, it, go, back it back in. Okay, minus the MC Hammer insults, or you know, that's that's something different. But yeah, you can't, you yeah, can't yeah Hammer. but yeah, third base split after their second album, and that is where MC Search's career kind of took off and it really blossomed. He produced the soundtrack for that movie Zebrahead yeah. in 1992, and he released a solo debut, Return of the Product, which is an album that I love. And the Zebrahead soundtrack, now, that introduced us to a young MC out of Queensbridge by the name of Nasty Nas, as he mm-hmm. went by back then. It was Nasty Nas. Nas in your Yeah, area. so MC Search produced him and became his manager, and he also got Nas to deal with Columbia. And then he actually executive produced Illmatic. So he's yeah. he's important to the culture in that him alone is great you know, his album was great um, Back to the Grill was the single from his album, it had Chub Rock Nas and uh, Red Hot Lover Tone on it, but Red Hot yeah, Lover you know, Tone, the, the MC names is crazy, love, but uh, he's important because he, he didn't introduce us to you know, Nas who was arguably one of the greatest ever since his career in rap uh, he only released that in one album, but anybody who's listening from Detroit would know him from WJLB or Hot 1027 because he's hosted shows there. And just to go back, the reason I was very careful about the wording with the MC Hammer disc is because, yeah. you know, MC Search did an interview a few years back where he claimed, this is all allegedly, that MC Hammer took out a $50,000 hit over him just based on the disc. Yeah, I mean, 50, back in 1991, that that's a lot of money. So, you know, wow. allegedly he took out a hit on him, but really? they've since talked it out. And I hope that all has been forgotten. Now, some songs Ooh. that people should check out are, of course, Back to the yeah. Grill. Um, here it comes, Social Narcotics, Handle It, and You Never Know. Again, he is the man that introduced Nas to the world and gave us Ematic. So, MC Search is my rewind for the first show yeah. of Black History Month.
0: Salute to MC, MC Search. I feel like Third Base is one of those groups that you just don't hear mentioned as much. Um, don't. Like, they might have somewhat been in the Beastie Boys uh, shadows. That could be part of it. And yeah. And it could just be because there are so many groups from that era, from the Tribe to Daylight types, even to Wu-Tang, that are just so much bigger. But Third Base, if you were there at that time, you know how much of an impact they had. So yeah, that's definitely a great pick for this week. Salute to MC Search. And, I mean, Illmatic, Illmatic is still seen as – by a lot of folks, the best hip hop album of all time, and if not the best, it's, top, it's five top five easily. Yeah. Easily. So for him to exec produce that is a huge, huge feat. So salute to search. I'm gonna keep it New York. Um for my pick, hey. I'm gonna keep it New York and hip hop same era. Late eighties, early nineties. My pick is actually my first favorite rapper. My first favorite rapper is actually Heavy D. Yo. So every, yeah, everybody, everybody who knows me would assume that it was a West Coast rapper like Snoop, or even, or even MC Hammer. But when, when Hammer came out, he was cool to me. But I just like Heavy the most. It was where
1: you just got I think major points. Yeah, with like
0: me. my first time really hearing Heavy was really from In Living mm-hmm. Color, of course. So he had that theme song, and I was a little bit too young to catch his his first first songs, but. I'll say Heavy was, I always said he was like the only rapper in that period. Maybe not the only, but one of the few that your parents and you liked equally. It was like, he 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 wasn't corny. It wasn't where, like, your parents liked him. So you saw him as, oh, he's whack because mm-hmm. my parents like him. He's for them. But it was like, he had the cool factor. So just going back through his career real quick. Like, he came out really around 1987 with his uh, debut album, Living Large. And the first track on the whole album just... The drums just captivates you. As soon as it comes in, mm. the overweight lover's in the house. As soon as those drums come in with that Marley Marl, it's like, down. whoa, Like, what am I about to listen to? And just those drums are just so hard to me. So that whole album, The Living Large, has some classics on there. And it felt like, uh, of course, I have to give uh, much love to the boys as well, to Eddie F and the whole crew. And the thing with them is that Heavy was the leader of the group. But, I mean, it was it was a perfect, perfect time in hip-hop. It was with him being with Uptown Records and... He's one of those original bridges for hip-hop where he was able to bridge the, the R&B and hip-hop together. So he was one of the main rappers in that New Jack Swing era that he could hop on any type of track you threw at him if it was a more boom-bap, East east Coast type of track or New Jack Swing track. So, of course, Living Color was, was prime, prime New Jack Swing, just a colorful intro to it. And he did two different versions of it, and both of them, he was just so cool with it. And... To me, he had just such a cool Playboy-type image. And as a big dude, he was still moving. He mm-hmm. was dancing. He was light on his feet the whole time. And a lot of folks know that he inspired Biggie, and he was somewhat of yeah. uh, Biggie's mentor. So Biggie Biggie took a lot of parts of his style and became who Biggie Smalls was because of Heavy. And, of course, you see how Heavy in that One More Chance video. But it's like the whole player side of Biggie was straight Heavy D. Even the flow, just the kind of real laid-back, the low voice because – when Biggie wasn't rapping like he did on One More Chance and Big Papa, he was sounding more like Lords of the Underground and, um, you know, the high yeah. pitch, the goodness gracious, the paper. Like, that was different. But when he's on Big Papa, he's real smooth, and that was a lot of parallel with Heavy D. So I feel like Heavy, um, he doesn't get mentioned as much with the greats as he deserves to. I think he came a little bit before uh, we see that, what we call the golden age, at least for people who were born in the 80s. We see that ninety two mm-hmm. to ninety six as being the golden age. And he still had some great albums. He had the uh blue funk, he had the nothing but uh love um singles and he had the, he had the nothing but love album, I should say, and waterbed Water have with Head. the my, yeah, uh Big Daddy single. Yeah. The singles is all fire. Like he I can't even name any like whack appearances or songs from him. And the fact that he rarely cursed, he had a single called Don't Curse. Mm. And they were all like using the misdirection technique of yeah. acting like they were going to curse, but they didn't. And he had the rappers Christian who were known music. for cursing all on there, That's right. keeping it clean. Yeah, and he and he continued his career all the way up until a couple years before he died. He had reggae albums in the late 2000s that people weren't even aware about. And yeah, he was half Jamaican. He was half Jamaican. So when I heard his first reggae song, I'm waiting for him to come in rapping because I'm like, it's some, <laughs> it's some Jamaican dude. The whole song. And then at the end of the song comes, I'm like... I ain't hear it, heavy D on it. Then I'm realizing, wait, that was him speaking Patois, mm-hmm. like doing a real reggae song that sounded authentic. So I'm like, he's still got talent and he's still doing it. So he was a great loss for hip-hop when he passed, I think that was 2012. We saw him on the BT Hip-Hop Awards. He performed there. And even when he performed, I remember people on Twitter who weren't probably around when he was in his prime almost having jokes, like Boy. who was this big dude on stage and who was this – And it made me mad just seeing that because it showed that he wasn't appreciated enough. And then it was only a month or two later when he passed. So I feel like he gets his flowers from people who are there in that generation, but it's not the way that he he deserves them. So
2: I
1: had to do this for Heavy D for this episode. Yeah, no, Heavy is one of, like literally one of my favorites, one of my favorite rappers, like right alongside like Grand Poobah. Like I think they had like these very distinctive flows. And also, aside from him being an amazing artist, he doesn't really get credit for taking control of uptown after Andre Harrell left to go to motown in yeah. uh 93 or 94 I think it was after he left so that all fell on heavy shoulders and then we got Monifa because of Heavy D so he definitely deserved we, we got Soul for Real. We got Soul for Real. So for he real. produced Candy Rain. Yeah. On. We can't forget that. He produced
0: Candy Rain, every little thing yeah. I do like um every little thing you you do, yeah, yeah, every do. little yeah. thing you do. Yeah. He gave us those tracks he and this where Soul for Real and, like he yeah. was
1: an actor too. So I remember he was on Living Single. Yeah. He was uh, Regine's big boyfriend for a while he was, on there. Yeah. yeah, it was like he was on there. I think he was on another show I saw at one time or something. But you know, he he had ventured into acting. He was a rapper, like you said. He could dance his ass off to be a big dude, and people he was could. surprised to see him jumping around, causing earthquakes all over the Eastern Coast. But <laughs> that's was, what happened. That's the Jamaican in him.
0: That's true. It's, it's part of his culture. So yeah, they got like 50 he was a huge. Yeah, he, he he had a huge impact to the culture. So I feel like we have to salute to Heavy D and yes. God keep his legacy alive. Whenever I get a chance to play some of his songs, I do. Cause I feel like he needs to be uh the, the youth needs to realize that a lot of artists that they love came from his style. Like you can even you can even argue that the Drake types even came from that lineage of Heavy D, making that he was an actual rapper, rapper, but he had the songs that the women love too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so One of the first. Salute to Heavy. So on the on the uh, inverse of what we do for the rewind section, we have what's called the fast forward. The fast forward, we're gonna be mentioning some artists that we feel you all should be looking out for in the future. So, uh, once again, EBL, let you go first. Who
1: is your pick for this week? This week, I am introducing the people to a Canadian singer. By the name of Gary Canadian, Bills, Canadian. So, so yeah, now, yeah. UK, you're moving a little bit closer to. I'm America. moving. To, I'm moving closer to America. Get, I know. The, yeah. the, I, I keep going everywhere else but America, but yeah. I'm trying to hone in on you know home. Gary well, Bills. Uh, <laughs> I'm in love with this guy's okay. artistry. He was actually a runner-up on um, the Canadian version of American Idol, which is called Canadian Idol. <laughs> back in 2003. So okay. So yeah, he creative. was. He, yeah, very creative. <laughs> he was the runner-up, um, but you know, obviously, the runner-up also gets a deal and they get to release. So he released a solo debut uh, titled "Gary Bills." It did okay. pretty well, especially if you like music from that like two thousand two to two thousand six period. It was you know heavy, mm-hmm. heavy on the R and B. It was very, uh, not that I'm comparing him, but very Ruben stutterish you know very it makes ge- enough sense G- for him to Gerald the from... very very okay. you know Joe it was it was that Jahim. it was that music that he was releasing so he did that in uh 2004 and his next album was 2009 and then he kind of disappeared just out of like disappeared for a while people didn't hear from him it wasn't until 2020 that he returned and he released his third album which is called Bleed My Truth so he went away he went through this period of self discovery and he came back even better than he was before. And I'm not sure he would agree, but I think, I really do think his 2004 debut is worth a listen. Again, it is oh, very early 2000s, very reminiscent of that time. So listening kind of puts you back in that space. But like a lot of artists, you know, that debut album can be very tricky. It's hard to tell if it's, You, the artist, or if it's the label, you know, I think about like Vivian Green talks about her debut album now, which I love, but she's still like, you know, that wasn't me. That was the label. But Gary actually credits uh, his church choir for a lot of the talent and his interest in music. So if you're one of those people like I am and you're tired of, I know we mentioned it earlier, the vibe music, Gary's (laughs) got that. He's got his very soulful voice and his material is actually very meaningful. It tells a story. Some of the songs that you should check out are Bleed My Truth, Good Company, Trying to Be There, Blood Red Roses, which has an amazing video to go with it, and pictures. Yeah, so I'm very, like, definitely looking forward to seeing how this man grows as an artist. Gary Bills is the fast forward for the first show of Black History Month.
0: Black History Month, salute, salute, so. At least you picked one black artist. <laughs> I got but, one you know,
1: for these segments. You know,
0: <laughs> had to do that. Definitely. All right. So, much love to Gary Bills. I'm familiar with his name, but not too much with his work. So it's crazy because when you mentioned his name, I was just like, "Don't you mean for the rewind?" Because remember remember yeah, just yeah, from that era, yeah, like no, you said. it's crazy. Yeah, I interviewed so. him
1: uh, last year and. Like it really opened my eyes to what an amazing artist that he is all around. Just his knowledge of music mm. and the inspiration and different things that he pulls from. Like I said, that uh, Blood Red Roses video. I think it actually was shot in South Africa because he wanted to explore a bit of his heritage. Oh, wow. You know, as a black man from Canada or Nova Scotia. So it, he's definitely worth people checking yeah. out.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so look to Gary Bills with that. My pick for this week is actually going to be Chica. Hey. She's a new age rapper, real young. She's probably about 23 years old and she's actually from Alabama. When I first, first, first heard her and saw her, I would have had no idea, but it's something I've joked with, uh, with some of my friends about that accents are kind of being washed out when it's a thing of the past because the younger and younger hmm. these audiences get, like they don't have accents the same way because every person i ever met from alabama you know in my childhood and in college had a had a strong accent but with her and even uh, flo millie you wouldn't be able to tell her they're from alabama but they definitely represent so with her i first um i heard her name but i remember when she was listed as one of the freshmen for xxl and just from her picture being on there the typical social media ignorance you you see people who weren't familiar like who is this mm-hmm. and even certain insults would come out which made me check her out i said if she's on here i mean she's dope as hell period because it's always been about image so much and there's so many artists out there who who are getting getting them acclaim and love because of their image and not because of their talent but i already knew she has to be dope because everybody who was defending her was like no if if you don't know who she is like you missing out that's on you so it was it was kind of funny because it's where people who didn't know her um were questioning it and people who knew her were like how are y'all djs and don't know who she is and (laughs) I didn't say anything. I'm like, look, I don't know who she is. Honestly, just I know her name. So let me check her out so I can at least be familiar. And soon as I started listening, I was hooked. Like she is a rapper. Rapper. She spits like she is not sing-songing. She is not trying to do the auto-tune. She is not. Uh, she is not mumbling. Like she is precise. She has the sharp flow. Uh, the first song that really, really caught me was actually a song I had heard the instrumental of before I heard. Her version, uh, one of my favorite producers who I mentioned yeah. in a previous episode is named Maxwell from, uh, he's from Canada, and with Maxwell, he had a, I forget what his his uh, instrumental was called, but she's actually rapping on it, and the song is called High Rises, and just, as soon as it comes in, just the lyrics that she has on there, just the way the beat progresses and she keeps up with the beat, she goes from rapping to singing melodically and on key with it, like she just starts off the lyrics on some little black girl from the south, little black girl in her mouth, like... Just the first couple bars, you already know where it's going. So I said, Let me check out all her projects. And she does have basically two two EPs. She has one that's called Full Bloom and one called Industry Games. And she's one of those types that I feel like when she blows up it's gonna be where the industry already knew about her. It's just that the fans have to catch up because she has a respect from all the artists in the game. She's actually on Stevie Wonder's last single. And it's crazy that like even though Stevie Wonder um is not it's not the seventies anymore and Stevie Wonder might not be the the chart-topping artist that he once was, of course, he's Stevie Wonder. He's still number one or number two legends who are still alive in the game, even yeah. compared to those who are not alive when it comes to just his writing and what he's done. So for her to be on the single with Rhapsody and Busta Rhymes and Cordae, who are basically mm-hmm. two leaders of the new school along with another legend in Busta, it shows that she's already solidifying her spot. So some of her tracks that, that I'm a fan of, she has one called Songs About You. Uh the last track on her uh her most recent EP is called Crown. And I feel like she's the type, if you're just a fan of just hip-hop, of actual lyricism, but it's not boring, it's not too nerdy, it's not too technical to get into. Like it's still digestible. She'll have certain songs where she's doing the, the, the triplet flow that everybody does. But it's similar to how like when J. Cole and Kendrick do it, like it's still very sharp you can still hear every single word that's being said and I'm a fan of that i guess me coming from that typical mm-hmm. 90s 2000s hip hop when you wanted to hear everything that was said you didn't want to have to go to genius.com to understand where they talking about like you can you can clearly hear it and i'm a fan of that and she i would say if you had to compare to any previous artist, i hate doing it but i would say Lauryn Hill cuz she just has that type of lyricism she has that type of Whatever beats you throw at her. I've heard her on those trap-type beats. I've heard her on hip-hop beats. Mm. I've heard her on R&B. I've never yeah, heard her she's film. she's also so uh, one of the nominees I for think she, the, is definitely uh,
1: next up. Outstanding New Artist for the NAACP Award. So, you know, I, I hope our listeners check her out, and I hope that she definitely takes that award yeah. home with her.
0: I'm hoping so. She deserves it. She, she's going for it, and I feel like she's the type. All it takes is that one or two, those one or two big singles, and then she's in there. And That's it. I think that's, that's all she needs. So salute to Chica and much love to her and Gary bills for our fast forward. At this point of the show, we will be taking a break. When we come back, we're going to have uh, it's going to get a little bit, a little bit interesting. So this, this bit. episode's drop is going to be, yeah, just a little bit. This episode's drop is going to be about the church influence in R and B from the past to the present. And then we're going to end off with our beat match. Uh, should we tell them what the beat match is going to be? Or should we? I think I'm going I'm to make them wait. No, let's, let's save, let's save it. it.
1: Let's save it. Let's make them sweat just a okay, little bit. Okay, let's make
0: them wait a little bit. So we'll see y'all in a second. But in the meantime, make sure that you are aware that we have a playlist. So all the artists that we mentioned, we do have on the, on the Spotify playlist. It's available within the notes of this episode. Also, make sure to send us um, send us whatever feedback you have or if you have any suggestions for artists you want us to talk about or for the drop segment, if you have any any topic that you want us to discuss Make sure you go ahead and send us an email about that. And we'll be right back. Alright, so make sure to follow us both on Instagram. I am at DJRTISTIC. EB is at eb for press And please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We do have one recent review. It came from Sunshine1023. And she states the following great podcast i love their take on music the rewind and fast forward segments are my favorite at the moment they remind me of some great artists with the rewind segment the fast forward segment introduces me to some new artists that are actually worth listening to and they gave us five stars so once again thank you all for those reviews and make sure to keep on giving us those reviews because it helps people to find our podcast so i appreciate that for sure now back to the show Welcome back. We're back from our break, our intermission, and now it's time to get into it. We have a segment called The Drop. Each and every episode, me and E.B., just uh, we, we talk about one topic that's been either mentioned on social media, whether it's a hot topic or something that we've been seeing for the last couple of months, even years, and it's always something that hits close to home to us. And one thing that I can say with, with us, we've, we've been having a lot of different discussions about R&B, about how it's changed and evolved within the last couple of decades. And one thing that me and you have always, always agreed upon and and not discussed with each other is about just the church influence in r and B. I've seen you post about it on social media. Mm-hmm. I've definitely posted about it and discussed it. And one thing that I think a lot of us from our generation, whether you're born in the 80s or even more so 70s and 60s, but even with us 80s kids, I feel like... Uh, the church influence in R&B is a huge, huge deal to us for different reasons, and it's probably a reason that we can't connect with a lot of the modern R&B, but how would you tell it? I don't want to speak for you too soon. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, just the initial initial surface of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like last week when we were talking about looking back to look forward and, and trying to figure out why music has changed and what's happened. A lot of it with today is it's just the church provides a basic understanding of song structure harmonies and then you have like the ad-libbing that happens and i understand why people leave the church and it's not as influential in their lives but i think yeah. that there's a certain level of vulnerability that comes from being in the church especially when you're singing and you have to ad-lib and you have to just like kind of pour your heart into the song that a lot of the best r&b definitely Hmm. definitely relies upon and today it's missing i think people need to understand everything doesn't have to be pretty and polished and sometimes it needs to be ugly you can't be afraid Hmm. of it sometimes you got to put some soul into (laughs) it and just let the song take over and i know there was a time in the past that r&b relied heavily on gospel it relied like that's the 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 origin start i mean the genre started from gospel it started from spirituals and you know there was a long time a lot of people would say that in the 90s it changed when people like kurt franklin started making gospel music that was for the street like hip-hop yeah. r&b but I, i'm taking it back it, it started way before then i go back to like the 70s like the 70s like you had people like shirley caesar and tremaine hawkins twinkie clark Supreme Jubilees, Carl Bean, they were all making these disco records to try and reach the clubs and try and reach a broader audience this for the true. church. And as the as the time progressed, then you had groups like Commission, yeah, commission who we talk about, about. On here, yeah. who influenced people like Jodeci. So you had the church having this influence on Jodeci and... Mary and Faith and Monifa and everybody, you know, back in the, back in the nineties, everybody had to have one gospel song on the album. You know, it always closed out the album, you know, thank you, Jesus. You know, I've been talking about (laughs) sucking this, licking this, kissing this and slurping on that, but thank you, Jesus. It had to be on the album. And at some point we just kind of got away from, I think people got away from the church and subsequently they got away from gospel music, but I think that it should definitely make a comeback because Sometimes it just feels like it's missing something. I'm not sure what the something is. But I feel like if people understood basic song structure and harmonies, then maybe, you know, that would make the music better.
0: I don't know. It's So, yeah, it's it's a lot that can be said about it. Um, Everything you said, I definitely agree with. And it's funny because one of the funniest pictures that I can find is – you ever seen Lil Cedric's uh, album? Cover? <laughs> yes. So a lot of people. When I first saw it, I was confused. So for anyone who's listening, uh, Lil Cedric was a gospel artist back in the '80s. He had a group called Lil Cedric and the the Haley Singers. And he had he was a little kid, probably like 11. He had a Jerry curl <laughs> and a suit on, and it looks so '80s. That it looks '70s almost. It just looks still. That's Casey. Yeah. Casey Lil, and JoJo Lil and Joe to and it's grow up. his name is Cedric, and it was where he started off. Like as a not just in the church, but he had they're putting out church albums and songs, and it shows so much when you hear Jodeci's music because no matter what they're si- they're singing about, it's like <laughs> it's like you hear the church in it. You hear it. It's like you can almost replace anything, anything. I mean, you could you could flip it, baby. Won't you just pray? It, it would fit like it would sound like a gospel song. Whatever song you take from Jodeci and put gospel lyrics to, it would sound like it was you know. You know, what must I do? To how much? I think about praising you. I feel like anything you do with a jealousy song will sound gospel because that's just what they came from. And it's and it's where um like the influence just kinda washed out more and more, as you said, because our generation is not as big on church for I would say understandable reasons. And it's it's funny because me and my dad always do DJ battles on Twitch and with my dad, he's a straight jazz head, gospel head, funk. He's not really an R&B head, especially in, for recent modern R&B. And uh, during the battle, I ended up playing um, – I was playing Deborah Cox. Um, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. It was his first time uh, hearing it. His first thing was, this sounds like a Yolanda Adams song. And I was <laughs> like, I never thought about that. But I'm yeah. like, this song does sound exactly Alone like you Yolanda Adams, but it's talking about love. And it, yeah. it shows how – it's the same song, because he played that next. He was like, you going to play that? He played, he played that um, – yeah that Yolanda, that Jimmy, Jimmy and Terry produced right after that. So it's like it just shows that in that generation that we grew up on, we're just used to having a strong gospel influence. And that's one reason. That I know I definitely can't connect to a lot of what's the modern R&B. And so this leads to something else that didn't hit me until recently. So Drake, of course, we've always mentioned how he's basically the biggest artist the last 10, 11 years. And the thing about him is that he's been known for doing rap and R&B. And it's been kind of even. I think the rap has been bigger than the R&B overall, but a lot of his album cuts are because it's R&B, and you always see his lyrics quoted for Instagram captions, but I never cared for his R&B that much. And (laughs) it didn't really hit me until late that he's Jewish and from Canada. He didn't grow up in a black church. And because of that, what he makes just does not connect to me because the song structure, the way that it's like the harmonies are not there, it's where it's the same loop, even the production behind it. And that production that he used influenced a lot of the R&B this, this last decade. He doesn't get enough credit, whether it's for better or worse, for influencing this whole trap and be vibe sound. Because when you listen to So Far Gone and To Take Care, that was his mm-hmm. whole style. Uh, you, you listen to even his, his first album, The Thank Me Now, uh, or Thank Me Later. Thank Me Later, I guess it was called. Thank Me Now was a track. Even though it was the karaoke and fireworks song. He came in with these songs that just have these real ambient type of productions that don't have any melody. It's just all these weird ambient sounds, and it's the same loop the whole song. It's these basic drums that sound like they came from an old Chord Triton. It's no breakdowns. It's no bridges. It's no build-up to the third Mm -hmm. verse. It's no resolution from the third verse. It's no key chains after that like you hear on the on the Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. And it's where lyrically it connects to the generation that grew up on him because he's speaking from that generation's heart. He's very vulnerable when it comes to the lyrics and the content. But the music just never gets me. And that's what leads to even when you do hear the Bryson Tillers and even some of the scissors types, some of the um Summer Walkers. I like some of their songs, but a lot of them have that similar type of production and sound where you can tell at times that they might have been to church a couple of times, or that they they went to church, but they weren't singing in the choir. But I've realized that's just why I haven't connected as much to this modern sound because it does not have that no, same you, influence.
1: Actually, you made me think about something that I have never ever thought about, um, especially when you started talking about Drake and his influence. Like I know that he has influenced this the current industry that we're in. I know that you know the the landscape of music. Drake has yeah. definitely influenced. But I like to think of him as like the great value Fonte where he, you know, he, he can do yeah. it. But Fonte, he doesn't yeah. have the, he doesn't have the soul. He doesn't have the the, soul, the church. Even the... if he don't believe, you can pretend like you believe just, just act like it just a little bit for the song. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. brought that up and I'm like, yeah, you know what you make, yeah. you're making valid, valid points. Um, we've gotten to a point where, as we talked about before, like as the lines between hip hop and R&B continue to be blurred, um, it, it's like gospel has totally been forgotten. Even if you don't actually go to a church, like y'all, they got church online now. You can you can roll over, yeah, yeah and press, you know, what connect <laughs> or whatever. And you can at least hear the choir, hit a note or two, you know, the Sopranos, the Altos, and the Tenors. <laughs> you know, shout out to all the lady Tenors out yeah. there because I know y'all have them deep voices. But yeah. there was a point where... The people could, you know, understand the basic songs. From... Y'all know y'all got those those ladies who, when the tenor sing, they be looking so proud and they be yelling, yeah, just yelling it. Trust me, I, I've sang with a couple. They killing. Yeah, we know. Ah, <laughs> uh, keep listening to us, y'all. Um, it it we've gotten to the point where people don't understand that base the basics of music, and they're being pushed to like the front and it's like okay you don't you don't know how to add a bridge in here but we're gonna make the song a hit like you don't know that your backgrounds need to be layered in a way so at least yeah. gives the illusion of a harmony but you know we're gonna make it a hit you don't know how to ad lib because you don't really feel the song because if you wrote it you wrote it from you know a place of mm. i mean maybe he was just tired that yeah. day i don't know but if if you didn't then you you can't connect to it in a real way so it's like we're just pushing mm. out like the same thing over and over. And a lot of it, I won't say all of it, but a, a nice majority of it is because there's the absence of a gospel influence on anything to do with R and B. And I guess, again, that's because the lines between R and B and hip hop are now blurred so much. Like the genre, uh, even gospel for a while. I mean, remember uh, Mary, Mary, ha- I mean, God and me, God and me. God and, yeah. me. God and me sounds exactly
0: like blaming. It's it the same. Like I love your song. girl.
1: And they all the regret same from uh, Latoya. Song. Yeah, it's the same like, song, you know. Like yeah. as the gospel artists, like you know, I already talked about like how the gospel was taken from R and B and R and B was taken from gospel. But as they're trying to keep up with hip hop, now they're doing trap music, yeah. and you know, they nobody are. don't want to be popping mollies in church while they praise dancing. Like you, it just <laughs> doesn't work like that. Like there has to be a line somewhere, yeah. and. I think when we find that line, if there is a line that can be drawn, when we find it, I think that we will start seeing more of what we want in the mainstream as opposed to the same thing over and over.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And the thing is, one thing that that we always end up having these arguments with, I guess, the younger generations is about they always want to tell us, you know, well, music has changed. It's it's evolved. Mm -hmm. Everything evolves. Okay, but... Why do you think R&B was so much bigger in the 90s and 80s and 70s and 60s? Like, R&B is definitely coming back, and I'm happy it is. The last couple of years has been a lot stronger than it was the rest of the decade, but it goes hand in hand. I mean, people haven't connected to R&B the same way, so it's not that nobody was making R&B, but it's like a lot of R&B that we had. Like, we had that EDM moment, mm-hmm. '09 and 2010. It's where every 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 single R&B artist from from Beyonce to Chris to Usher to – if you want to say Rihanna's R&B, they all yeah. had that that EDM fist pump song because they were just always going to where the trend was. And it just shows that it doesn't connect the same way. And even like I mentioned uh, last episode, whenever it comes to playing certain songs at parties, I mean, SWV Week and these type songs and Keisha Cole Love, no matter how you feel about a Keisha Cole type, like those songs have a strong church influence that mm-hmm. grabs you. And it feels like you're at church singing it in the club. And it's because of the way that it was composed. It's because you're anticipating that third verse if you cut the song off before that third verse the crowd is mad because they're <laughs> waiting for that versus a lot of these new songs you can cut it off after one verse and nobody cares because it's the same nothing's changed there's no chords in it anyway let, let alone chord changes so it's like it, it gets monotonous so i do i do agree i feel like i don't think every artist has to go that no. direction i'm not saying every single singer has to become uh gospel influenced at all they don't have to force right. it if they didn't grow up in the church I don't want them doing what's so out of touch and foreign that it comes out forced because we can tell if it's forced, but yeah, I just hope that some, some, some elements of that gospel, um, influence can come back. That's all, that's all I I can wish for really. At
1: this point we really do deserve it. And I I know that there are a lot of singers who have this gospel or this church influence right now, um, who just don't do that because that's not what the label wants or that's not what will sell, but it will only take one. You know, to be successful with doing it before other people realize that, you know, maybe I should get back into doing this. I mean, all the singers that we love, like we yeah. really love, I, I'm pretty sure a good 98% uh, have roots in the church or with gospel music. And they, they talk about it. I'm trying to yeah. think of the 2% I that mean, don't.
0: It might be. It might be yeah, a, a, I, a rare case. It, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking yeah, I like... I
1: generous, like, you know, because... Yeah yeah i'm like i mean yeah yeah, i know everybody that i I love and i'm pretty sure everybody that you love like we talk music a lot i'm pretty sure they all even if they are not in the front pew of the church right now then that played a big part in their musical development and the music their artistry yeah and i mean maybe sierra don't i don't know but even like Even Sierra, we don't listen
0: to her in the same way as we do to a Deborah Cox or Whitney or even a Mary. So
1: I just think that there there was a clear influence and it was, in my opinion, a mutual relationship between gospel and R&B. Because even gospel has changed a lot if you listen to gospel lately. But I hope that we can get back to where it was, you know, a good decade or two ago. Not saying that I wanted to stay that way and never evolve, but... It's just been totally absent.
0: I agree. I totally agree. I, I would say before we uh, move on, I would say salute to Jasmine yeah. Sullivan. I think that her, I mean, ironically, hey. it's called hotels. But hey, I mean, Mary Magdalene. As we was said, a home. The, the, the church influences mm-hmm. exactly. So it's mm-hmm. this is Mary Magdalene EP. That's, That's the nickname right. of it. That's what I'm calling it from here on out. The <laughs> Mary, the Mary Mag, the Mary Mag- <laughs> Maggie EP is fire. So I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she got she got the song she had <laughs> she got the song called On It and On It. I mean. If you if you don't hear what she's saying, it sounds mm. like it could be a church hymnal, but you read those lyrics and it's like, oh, you're talking about, I don't know if she says spin or spit. Either way. When you're taking communion. Either way. I will. Hey, communion chips and I the will,
1: grape juice ain't good, yeah. that you have to spit. That's what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm.
0: right. That's what it is. I'm, I'm going to roll with that. I'm going to roll with that. So, yeah. So to everybody listening, uh, let us know what you feel about that. And if you have any other related topics that you want us to address in the future. And you know, so it's about that time. It's about that time. Um what we have to conclude every episode is called the beat match. The beat match is where me and EB will take it could be two artists, it could be two albums, it could be two different decades, whatever it, it is. We might even do songs versus songs one day. Who knows? But what we do is take these two things and compare them against each other and we see who will come on top in the battle. And we have our producers, Melissa and my lady. They always vote and say who they feel would be the winner of that. And, you know, right now I'm on somewhat of a losing streak because my producers, I don't know what's going on in the water where they at. I don't know if it's about the the, the pandemic. The
1: pandemic is, is influencing them too much. Well, I can explain. Women, see, statistically, women are smarter than men. So... They are. I mean, they are smarter. I'll give the them right
0: that. But I mean, maybe this pandemic possible. got them inside too much. They gotta go outside get some fresh air. Mm. I mm. mean, it's it's a little bit hotter, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but okay, but you don't know. Tonight you might I take. Mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm knows. looking forward to right now. So, with this beat match, this how we're we gonna do it. We're gonna do a album versus album matchup. So just to give some quick background, we've been having a lot of debates on social media and on an app called Clubhouse about. The best r and albums of the last i would say 30 years so what i will say is that what was seen as one of the best of of that era is now canceled we're not going to mention that guy and what he did anymore we're not going to even mention that one and then uh in in the clubhouse group i was in they actually voted lauren hill miss education of lauren hill as the best r and album since 1994 and i just did not agree with that do you agree with that eb not at all
1: nope not at all love it love the album i do love it but no the best r&b album since 94 and you're gonna pick the miseducation for somebody who can't even show up on time no i can't roll with it
0: so i mean i think i know what my pick is i'll see if your pick if your pick is the same we're gonna have to debate something else so since 1990 i'll even say what would you say is the pick for the best RB album um since then
1: mm. i mean anybody who knows me knows that i am a mary j blige fan for oh, life mary, so there's one mary's my life is mm. the best the best r album since 1994 in my opinion i i would say it's two or three
0: it's right there i have to go confessions Mm. I have to go. Usher confessions, confessions just to me, and mm. I'll say it might be a slight, slight, slight generational bias. So with that, Shh. we're gonna go ahead and get this beat match underway. And once again, our producers will be picking who they feel what album they feel was the better album. So EB, as my guest, I will give you a couple minutes to go ahead and fight your case for it.
1: Okay. Well, as as I've already stated, anybody who knows me knows that Mary J. Blige is my number one of all time. And although My Life is not my favorite album by her, Mm. it is one of my favorites. And I think it's because putting on the album, it takes you through a range of, of emotions, and it makes you feel, even if you don't want to. Like, the album came out in 94 and became the blueprint, but it... For a long time, it's still, like, the standard for anybody anybody who's releasing an R&B album. Mm-hmm. Like, she literally went into the booth and sang her heart out on every single song. And that's something that we hadn't seen before, at least not on such a personal level. Yeah. She co-wrote most of that album. And even though she relied heavily on those soul samples from the 70s and 80s, yeah. it, it, it wasn't like she was just using what somebody brought her. It was it was a clear influence there. Like you clearly have a connection with this album and the artist, or the song, you know, the, from Barry White and Curtis Mayfield or uh, Roy Ayers in the seventies to Rick James, Yarbrough and peoples and even guy Hmm. in the eighties, you know, it was like the music that she grew up with. It was the music that she loved and everything told a story. Like the, the album was a narrative and it, from beginning to end, it talked about, you know this unrequited love that you know she had from uh, little Cedric. <laughs> little Cedric, you know, yeah, little, little Cedric. She wanted yeah. to be with little Cedric, but <laughs> little Cedric just didn't want what <laughs> what Mary was given. He didn't. He wasn't interested in it. So, it, yeah. my life it definitely should be number one. It is. It should be the winner here because it is the greatest album to be released since then. And then you got publications like Blender, Vibe. Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, and Time who continually place this on their greatest album of all time list. As a matter of fact, it actually keeps moving up on The Rolling Stones list year after year, still today, and that speaks to the power of the album. And it's an album that came out almost 30 years ago. It had this influence over an entire generation. The title track alone became an anthem like you felt every second of my life from when the first la-di-da-da-da when she hit the note <laughs> to the last ad-lib it was like oh you know you know mary might be on that shit not that shit that y'all talk about but like mary on some good shit right now you know it's like everybody that she sang for they felt it because they were all going through the same thing at the same time everybody knows how it feels to have an unrequited love everybody knows how it feels to beg for the attention of somebody and the album is just her like it's just mary there are no duets there are no verses by rappers it's strictly mary singing without the help of anyone else to appeal to the public it wasn't star-studded like confessions was with Lil john alicia kanye twister luda you know
0: I hear you. I hear you. So, I mean, I'll say, you know, my life is definitely one of my favorites. So, it feels almost blasphemous for me to, like, have to even say anything negative about it. So, I, I'm not even going to go that direction. Um, I will say, as far as these publications, giving the it credit, it's black history, man. <laughs> I, I don't care what Rolling Quincy stone say. Vibe. <laughs> you said Rolling Stone, too. You said Rolling Stone. I don't care what they're talking about. You did say vibe, so, so salute to vibe, but I don't care what... Ain't that Mick Jagger? So anyway, anyway. So, anyway, so here's my thing about Confessions. Like, Confessions dropped 2004, and I think no one really knew exactly what to expect, but we knew that Usher was on a crazy ascension. It was where his his debut album was, was probably handled the wrong way, but it had some great music on it. My Way came, and it was like, wow, who is this? He's actually looking like he's next up to blow. 8701 came 8701 he had these smash singles and it's like all right he's looking like we ain't gonna say he's the next mike but he is the next something up there so we were waiting for confessions we knew it was about to be major and here's the thing so it came out the gateway yeah and a lot of people do nowadays we'll say yeah it's not their favorite song on the album or it's the worst song but that's kind of like us using our 2021 vision i would say at the time, yeah, it was a huge smash. I would say top three biggest songs of the decade. After In the Club, it might be number two. It was a huge smash, and it doesn't sound like much of anything else on the album until you get to the extended version where you have the songs like um, Red Light, but regardless, that song was huge, and it's one of the biggest party records, the most definitive party records of that generation. It's, it's what it, the, a just, the A was on the map at that point. It was the perfect combination of the biggest producer in Lil Jon, the the biggest rapper, one of the biggest rappers, I would say, in Little Chris, right, ne- right next to OutKast, I would say, was probably Little Chris at that time. And Usher being that king of R&B, about to snatch that throne from the ball-headed dude, which he did with this album. So the thing about Confessions is that it hits you in so many different ways. I feel like my life definitely has some great mid-tempo, some slightly slower that I wouldn't call, quite call slow jams, and then it had... One or two uh upbeat jams like you bring me joy but confessions covered every base so it, it's covering the the upbeat party track like yeah those mid-tempo tracks kill like you still hear what y'all know about it as soon as you hear bad girl in the club everybody's singing it it's like he had that he had the mid-tempo like the um even truth hurts and simple things were some very solid album cuts and then when you get to the extended version you get my boo which is just a, a, a cool jam that you forget that it's not talking about your actual boo it's talking about you know the one that you let get away but it hits you in those directions but when you slow it down it has what i would say is probably the greatest collection of slow sexual jams even above jodeci's albums even above the Ballhead dudes albums if if not better than 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 the uh four times three play it's right on par with it so i feel like when we go in that direction, it's hard to compete. And I I just got cut off. I, I guess it's time to throw it back to you, but um
1: what's okay, your rebuttal all, on that? The, the four times three play is hilarious. I'm always gonna refer to it as that from now on. <laughs> Confessions is a great album. Like I'm I will never take anything away from that album, but a lot of that is based on the strength of the singles. Like if you ask the average person to name mm-hmm. some non single on the album, they'd be very hard pressed. Like you mentioned, uh "Truth Hurts" and simple things. Like they won't, they they won't know those songs. They won't know "Red Light" or fo- even "Follow Me." Like they just, they'd be like, "What?" Like it, it, it's not a thing to them. Again, a, again, it's a great album. Definitely one of the best R&B recordings of our lifetime. But it's still not seeing my life in terms of the personal pr- uh, connection, the production or longevity. I mean, the song My Life, for example, it's become Mary's signature song. It was never a single, but everybody knows my life. Everybody knows that song. Everybody knows that Roy Ayer sample because of it. And she's always been very vocal about giving back to any artist that she sampled or remade. You know, you got My Life, you got Be Happy. That's an anthem. Like everybody does the Mary Bob. Like even if they can't do it, Because there's no right way to do it because she can't do it. But even if they can't do it, everybody does the Mary Bob. Everybody knows Mary Jane all night long. You know, everybody don't want to fuss and fight. Everybody knows You Bring Me Joy with the Barry White sample. And then that section of the album that's from You Gotta Believe and To Never Want to Live Without You. Like those are some solid ballads, like some slow jams. You got I'm Going Down was a remake that was so good people didn't even realize like it was a remake. It was like oh I really love this song and then the video came and then you got I Love You with Smith & Wesson on the remix like the original is great with the Isaac Hayes but then you got the I Shine, You Shine, Shine it's like it's still throw you know it's, the party is forever going like I said Confessions is great but it's also an album where he had a lot of collaborations. He had all those people on it. My life was just Mary. Mm. Like the most she had on there was Keith Murray doing the interlude. And even that, that was before Biggie even used who shot ya? That was the who shot ya? beat. It was a song for Mary on the my life album. Like Mary really, really put her heart into this album and it became the sound of a generation. She became the Aretha Franklin of an entire generation. She really became the hip hop soul in 94 with the My Life album
0: I mean I hear So I hear everything you're saying So here's the thing that I, I say cancels out So as far as him having features He really doesn't have as many features as you, as you would think So especially on the original version Yeah he has John and Ludacris on one song On the remix of Caught Up he has Fabulous And then like Of course the My Boo was basically You know that's a, that was a deluxe cup but That was just him and Alicia Then the Confessions part 2 had Shine and all that money So I'll say this, Mary's album did obviously rely on samples. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but for for me, crowning crowning a greatest R&B album for the last 25, 30 years, Confessions, it has a couple samples, but most of those songs that we love are all original compositions. So with Mary, she did have the advantage of taking these nostalgic songs. She did improve some and some she just did a great job with, period. But it is very sample reliant, which to me is more of a hip hop type of trait. So with uh, when it comes to these album cuts, I get it. The, the, yeah, Truth Hurts and Simple Things are not the most known album cuts, but that's those. You talk about throwback. You mentioned throwback. Anybody knows throwback. You mentioned, I mean, Bad Girl was, was not a single either, and that song gets more playing the club than, yeah, or damn, anything else from that from that era. You hear Bad Girl more than a lot of big singles from that era, and when it comes to the the, the trio, to me, of That's What It's Made For, Can You Handle It, and Seduction, Those are three album cuts that you heard at parties at every college house party to slow the party down. You still hear those. It might be somebody's, um, it could be at somebody's wedding. It might be at, it might be the Garter Removal. I played Can You Handle It as the Garter Removal song. So I feel like those are some super strong album cuts. And even like, and Caught Up was another party song that he had too. So he came strong with those two party cuts. And like I said, it covers all those bases. Even Do It To Me, He, he had the Prince type of feel to that. But as far as those album cuts come I feel like those album cuts are not just on par, but even possibly, I'm not gonna say more well known than Mary's album cuts, but those are some very known cuts. Like people talk about Throwback all the time when it comes to talking about those uh, those R&B songs that have the hip hop sample especially. And once again, it was not that reliant on the, on the features as you were saying. I feel like Mary was more reliant on the samples than Confessions was reliant on the um, features.
1: Yeah, I I definitely hear everything you're saying in regards to Confessions. Like I said, it is a great album. You know, Mary made an album about an unrequited love and just trying to be happy and move on with your life. He made an album about being a fuckboy. And there's nothing wrong with that. That Those were the times that we were in in 2004. Keep in mind, these albums are 10 years apart. So Mary has him on longevity and also just puff. Chucky Thompson, all of Jodeci, Keith Murray, Big Bub, Erb Middleton, like everybody, Faith Evans, everybody who was somebody or even about to be somebody at the time had a hand in this album. The album was so influential that it inspired rappers. Like she became the queen of hip hop souls. She became the Aretha of an entire generation because of this one album where she just simply decided to do her. And album interludes, remember those like, all of her interludes were so great that she had the Marvin interlude when she was just moaning and and channeling Marvin. And she had the Keith Murray interlude with the Who Shot Should Be when Keith Murray was talking something. I don't know what he was talking about. I know all the words. I don't know what he was talking about.
0: That's enough. That's enough. I mean, much respect to her. And you're right. I feel like Confessions, the thing about that, that made him... He's still been the king of R&B since then. Whatever male artist comes out or has come out since 04, that's the question. Do they have a confession? It's like, does Chris Brown have a confession? Does Trey Songz have one? And confessions mark this time the same way. I mean, Lil Jon was the hottest club producer of that era. Judge Blaze was right there. Brian Michael Cox, the, probably the top two three writers for that decade. JD is a producer, and I feel like um, it, it it carried a wide range of emotions on that album, from him being a no-good, but also to him just being a lover, and it's one of the only R&B albums that men and women love equally. I'll, I'll end it with that, because every boy who was in high school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, usually boys in high school don't like R&B like that, but, but boys and college boys, college men, whatever you want to call them, love the album just as much as the women, so it was a man speaking to women. Men can relate and women appreciated it the same way. And that's the way I have to conclude. So I'm rolling with confessions. So at this time, yep, at this time, I'll go ahead and leave it to our producers, Nalady and Melissa, and I'll see if they can go ahead and convene and give us what they think their pick is for this one.
1: And before, listen, if the lady says anything about remembering going to a concert, then I'm just going <laughs> to keep talking.
2: You already know she Yo. is. I don't even know. I don't even know. What I know. She's like concert know in, that she Man, to I want she that 94. Everybody. <laughs> everybody and they, everybody and they mamas and I'm, probably I'm they grandparents, I'm too. My, and they in any case, she was in Atlanta yeah, she in 04. And so, they hey. kids at this point, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause happened. You on the path. The story of the lady. I don't. Well, now she don't I want don't, to tell a story about how she was back at Mary's concert. Yes, was she was five.
1: She was like, I was singing background with Faith on my <laughs> yep. life. I remember it. I was eight. She learned. She learned what her life was. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She went low, I went high. Um, We
2: we harmonized. Okay. okay. You go ahead. I I went first, last time.
3: Actually, I did have a constant (laughs) memory, but I'm not going with that artist. (laughs) No, share it. No, please please share it. Please share it. Well, I was just thinking the last time, I think the last time I saw Mary was Mary and Maxwell at the forum here. Um, And that was just, it was they're timeless so you can always see them no matter what year it is. <laughs> they just they have classics you want to hear. Um and I was trying really hard not to bring in any like recency bias into this uh listening to y'all and these arguments. But I have to go with Usher. Uh Confessions was just massive and I do know all those album cuts and I just yeah. Yeah. And then I was in Atlanta and I was still trying to like they had nothing to do with it until you really you said it just now. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was there. I wasn't even thinking it. I was thinking about the longevity after I left Atlanta and hearing those album cuts right now and, and still knowing them in the order, like you said, those three in the order. And it's like, yeah, I have to go with that. Now, I do love Mary. I have seen her several times and she has lots of hits. Um, In fact, I saw her when it was Jay-Z and Friends after he canceled R. Kelly in Best of Both Worlds and he went on tour by himself. He came out and was singing something and this lady in the audience got kicked out because she was trying to fight. I think it was like No More Drama. And the whole, the (laughs) ushers came in my row and they had to to kick her. They grabbed her. I'm telling y'all, it was a whole thing. And I was like, she was just feeling the most. How you got drama the during song. the moment. She wasn't bothering nobody, but they cooked her right off that row. Uh, Mary does it for you. She does She does it for oh, you. God. I cannot deny. She wow. was built <laughs> too strong, and she got like the whole thing. And they were like.
0: They court signed Karen That's cold. <laughs> listen. Um, Speaking about that, lady that, that been church. Able to listen to
1: mm-hmm. Mary since, probably. Yes. She's. Mm-hmm. Dang. So it was. It,
0: what, what do we say about the gospel? The gospel influence in R&B. What do we say about it?
3: <laughs> Love her, but in terms of just, like, like I said, I was trying not to have recency bias because I was way younger for my life. But for me, it's confessions.
0: So. There it is. Now, Melissa, let's see.
2: So, confessions. I remember when confessions dropped. As a little girl, not even a little girl, as a high school girl, <laughs> <A little> girl? <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute!" And um, I was in high school. I grew up with mostly white people, and um, when they were listening to R and B music, it was usually just the the singles that they were into. Mm. And Confessions was like the first one that they were listening to the whole album and uh it was it was interesting to me just to see how how that album kind of transcend transcended what they had been listening to and uh hmm. i and i do know i can tell you every song on that album front to back i still listen to it regularly um and then we've got mary who i remember listening to that on my parents old sound system that had like <laughs> speakers that were taller than me just laying on the floor and feeling feeling that music like i knew what the <laughs> hell that that she was talking about but i just felt that album <laughs> um and i loved it and i still love it and just going off you guys's arguments and things i think that mary has it for this that that album mm. is still it still feels fresh I agree. Mm. I
1: agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, but Get she nice. said it still feels fresh and.
2: <laughs> but I do love. Yes, it. That was fresh. very
1: 2003. You know. Yeah. Even. Yeah, it does. beyond Yeah.
2: Though. I mean, but even.
1: Okay, now that not, song yes is my song, but even other stuff on that album. Yeah, it has to be. Right, we're not taking nothing away. It's just.
2: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not taking. Like yeah. I love the album. I love that album. Yeah. I still listen to that album, but I just—I it feels like very much of the time where Mary's. Yeah. I, w- I would I would argue it can, that yeah, it's timeless
0: like, Mary, what's the four one one was more influential than my life in a sense only because that's when the hip hop soul broke through. Mm-hmm. So my life was a continuation of that, and Every it did solidify that. It kind of evolved that sound, but I would say directly i would say what's the 411 was it did touch, touch hearts but i mean
1: her heart went broke my life is better album
0: i would say so all right well we have another tie so i guess the tiebreaker is you all so i need the audience hashtag behind the wheels pod let us know which album you think is better i know uh i already talked to ninth wonder he told me there is no comparison he said my life is better but I mean, of course, he's an OG, so he was there when my life was like what it was, so I get it. like you said, it's generational. It's generational, generational. it is, honestly. So it's like, I feel like it's generational, and it's also a male versus female thing. So I think a lot of men will probably go with confessions more so while women go with my life. But either way, I want to see what everyone else says. And for everyone out there, if you have any other suggestions for a beat match, if you want us to compare something long as it's not Prince and Mike or Beyonce and Janet or something, I think we could do it. I mean, we might do Beyonce and Janet one day. Who knows? Mm. Who knows for sure? But either way, yeah, I don't know about it. I don't even want to touch that. But either way, if you all have any suggestions for that or any uh, topics of discussion you want us to bring up for the drop, go ahead and send us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com, and we will go ahead and get that to you and – um, for now this is episode 8 closing out once again I am DJ Artistic and EB you have anything you want to say to the people um, before we head out
1: no I, I just episode 8 that's amazing to me that we are already on episode 8 like this doesn't feel like you know something like a task yeah. it, it it just you and I love talking music and we do it well so it's just, it just feels good and I'm glad that people are rocking with us and have been rocking with us since episode one.
0: I agree. I appreciate everybody who, who's tuned in, everybody who supported it and reposted it for us on social media. Continue yeah. to spread that word. And I mean, eight, eight episodes, that's as long as a season on Insecure. So I mean, hey, we, we making some progress right now. So So I appreciate you all for listening and we will see y'all next time for episode nine and Artistic. Checking out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the lady Yahoma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Montz and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.